the adults that was in the Sunday school hour. Uh, like I said, a lot of thoughts this morning come my way, and some of them started this way, but uh, wound up in the Sunday school hour in the last, the last 15 minutes there or so as, uh, as I uh, finished it up there. And I uh, hope that we can understand uh, some things along those lines. In fact, I think it was even said recently in a conversation about my pastorship. I want to be right. I want to glorify God. That's something that's been discussed in around our revival services. You know, we can we can try to rob glory, we can try to build a name for ourselves, and we are, we are to have a good name. The Bible tells us to. Not to the place of pride. It's a running joke with the bells. My dad, you just got to know him. <laughs> but through the years, there's a little running joke. And, and we still joke, but I, I put it out that it is a joke, but uh, I think he was serious at times. You know, um, uh, he'd make the statement, uh, you know, uh, I'm not conceited. Conceit is a fault, and I have no faults, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, like I said, it's, it's joking, but uh, he, he, has, he, he had the bell name, and he wanted the bell name to be a good name. He instilled that in myself and my brother. And I've tried to instill it into my children as well, not to pride, but not to where people could have an occasion against us as well. And that's taught in the scriptures. A good name for yourself should bring glory to the Lord. No man liveth to himself, no man dies to himself for those that was in the men's in the adult Sunday school class this morning. And where our lives should bring glory to the to the Father. Everything we say or do, to do to the glory of the Lord. Do heartily as unto the Lord. All these are scriptures. And, um, and that being said, you know, what, you know, as a pastor, I want to focus, I want to guide us and direct us and keep our focus. There's what I'm looking for. Keep our focus as a church to glorify God in our lives. Amen. Not to be proud in ourselves, not to be proud in our families, not to be proud in our church, be thankful in our church. Be thankful for what God has given us. Uh, and that's right, because again, who gets the glory in thanksgiving? He does. Who gets the recognition for the good gifts and the perfect gifts? He does. And when we can sit up on the side of the bed and thank the Lord for a good rest... We can sit up on the side of the bed of a morning and just thank the Lord for another day of living and, and then pray after thanking the Lord. Pray that the Lord would take your life and use it for His glory Amen. that day. And then tomorrow do the same thing. And that He might get glory out of our lives. There's where the teachings, you know, in, in the Scriptures is. And... Um, this is not, but when we, when we look in the scriptures and we've seen, I, I believe we even seen it the other day in a, another passage, but if I can find it here, 
Uh, let's see here. This wasn't in my notes. You know how that goes. There it is. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Look, if we're loving God like we're supposed to be loving him, and we're loving our neighbor as we're supposed to be loving him, then all of it falls into place. All the rest of it. All the law and the prophets fall into place. And so in the New Testament, when we, we hear, if you love me, keep my commandments, you know, there are some commandments that we as a child of God are still adhe- uh, to adhere and to hold to. And it's not the commandments as far as keeping them to go to heaven, it's keeping them because we love God, the Father, through the Son. We love the Son. We love Him. If you love me, keep my commandments. How, how will men know that you're my follower? If you keep my commandments. It's all there. Again, not to merit salvation because anything that we do is not going to merit salvation. Salvation is only strictly through the blood of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, period, and His resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. But the keeping of His commandments, and like He, he was pointing out in the, in the Sunday school class, <clears throat> that Romans 13, as He, as he uh, uh, also spoke last week, and then going into Romans 14, uh, Speaking to the child of God, speaking to the church on how we ought to be living as a child of God and especially our interaction one with another. But then going back to Matthew 22, the neighbor that's without. How we ought to just conduct our business in society, how to we're not you know, to cheat folks and so on and so forth. All that, that's just under how we, how that we... Um, Take care of our neighbor. So as a pastor, you know, I, I know preachers. You know preachers. That puts people under the thumb of the preacher's beliefs. And if you don't line up with the preacher's beliefs. But see, I ultimately know, like we read there in, in Romans chapter 14, that you're going to stand before God and give an account. Not to me. You're going to stand before Christ and give an account, not to me. You're going to stand before Christ and give an account to him. So as a preacher, I just declare what the Lord says, try to guide you in that. But I also, and I have a desire that when you stand, like Romans or Hebrews chapter 13 says, obey them that have the rule over you, and it's not in the context as we've heard it in the past, but obey them that have the rule over you, verse number 17, and submit yourselves 
for they watch for your souls. That's what I, my job is as a pastor is to watch for your souls, to, to preach you to the word, to, to help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through his word because it goes on to say, I mean, as a, watch, a, watch, uh, a watchman over your soul, I'm standing on the wall and looking and seeing the enemy. And if I can warn you of the spiritual warfare, the things that we read there that in Ephesians chapter 6 that we went through as a church, realizing and still pointing to you that it's a spiritual warfare that we're in, and I can stand and warn you, then obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I don't know that I'll stand as a witness to what I have said in the pulpit and what you've heard me say and then how you lined up with it, but maybe I will because it says, as they that must give an account, you're going to be judged, but are they going to pull in witnesses? And if they pull in witnesses... And I'm one of the witnesses of the times that you sat in front of me and heard the messages that I've preached. How am I going to be able to uh, testify? God knows all things, so I don't know if he's going to call witnesses or not. But it says, as. As if I was to be called, were to be called, to stand as a witness for you on how you obeyed the scriptures. So, that's something to keep in mind. Now, John chapter 1. Anyway, I want to be that kind of pastor. If I see you doing wrong, blatant, flat out wrong, I want to show enough love to you to point that out according to the scriptures. Where you're wrong... And I want, yeah, I want to, I want to you to know that I love you. And and when and I get frustrated, and and at times, in fact, I was sharing this yesterday with a preacher. I guess it was Brother Brunson. For he yeah, he called and concerning the subject again. We when we got some things going on between the three pastors and our fellowship, um, some questions there that had come up. We deal with it, but we was talking, we get to preaching at each other for just a little bit, but, you know, just having that presenting to you, seeing where you're headed. See, I'm the watchman on the wall. Not only am I seeing the, the enemy coming in, but I can see you as you move about. I, I can see the path maybe sometimes ahead of where you're headed as an individual or as a family, and as a pastor to get up and warn you, look, you're headed in the wrong direction with yourself. You're headed in the wrong direction with your family. I try to do that as a, out of love, but and so don't take me wrong. A lot of times people take people wrong that simply point out, and I'm going to try to put it in a place where you understand that it's coming from love, but... To, to, to get up and cry loud and spare not and point you to the pitfalls that you're headed to and then you keep going down that road anyway and, and you get into the trap, that big bear trap, 
closes on you and you're like, ah, I warned you. But then that spirit of reconciliation that we're supposed to have to restore folks after that they maybe have ignored the preaching and ignored God, if they can be reconciled, to reconcile them back into the church. I don't know that's free, but anyway, I got to get going. I got I to be on the base in an hour. But John chapter number 1, verse number 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we, built, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, dear God, for what's been said in the Sunday school hour. Uh, for the, the spirit that's here this morning, it's more of a, a spirit that uh, seems to be taking instructions, uh, and I pray that they will, and I pray that uh, you'll help us to have a spirit of love one for another, as we heard there in Romans chapter 14, and, and to, to look at each other in the proper, proper eyes and the proper lenses and the lenses of the Word of God. Lord, but also examining ourselves uh, according to the word of God and making sure that we are where we ought to be uh, when, uh, when we do look at others. Pray and ask that you will just guide and direct in the thoughts that you've laid upon my heart and the scriptures you've laid upon my heart. We ask and pray that you'll speak to hearts this morning. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. So, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm, I'm going to read it without the parenthetical statement there. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. All right, so the parentheses, as you know, in, 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 in uh, the, our written language, the parentheses just gives, and what's in the parentheses in, in, in our written language gives more emphasis or detail about the things around it. And oftentimes... When you, I read the scripture in my studies, I will read it as it's written, but then I also read it without, like I just did. So it, you see the flow of the thought without that to make sure that I'm understanding what the emphasis that's held within the parentheses is, is referring to. But the word was made flesh, and we re- referenced Christmas here in the, uh, just at the end of Sunday school. Uh, and the importance of the incarnation is where I was thinking at. But really, and I want to point out, although the birth of Jesus Christ is important and, and that he was born of a virgin, as was prophesied there in Isaiah chapter 7 and chapter 8, uh, other, other prophets too, but the word Emmanuel, which is where I want to get to because of the word flesh, Emmanuel being interpreted God with us and literally means God in the flesh. Um, incarnate. We, some of us understand and know and know a little bit enough about Spanish that uh, chili con carne, okay? Con carne is chili with meat. All right, it doesn't have any, it, it's not just beans. <laughs> it's got some meat in there. In fact, we, we were invited to a chili uh, here a while back. It said, you like beans only, you like meat. And we're like, well, we normally put meat in ours. So we, when we make chili, we have chili con carne. It's got meat in there. 
So carne is, is, you know, is taken in the, in the Spanish from the Latin, like a lot of our words have been derived from, that literally means in the meat, in the flesh. So carne, incarnate, we see that. So when we speak of the incarnation of Christ is God in the flesh. This is just root words in our English language, coming from many times the Latin before that. So, and the Word was made flesh. So who is the Word? In the beginning of this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was made flesh. We read in verse number 14, and we read verse number 1, He, the Word, was God. We believe, you know, in one God manifesting himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal in all attributes and power. And so when we, when that's just a, a foundational doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity of God, one God, but he manifests himself in the three persons. And it wasn't, as was pointed out in the Sunday school hour, or when it was Sunday school hour, it wasn't really until the New Testament that we see and understand Father, God the Father. We see in the Old Testament as he's dealing with the, uh, with the children of Israel, we see the husband, God as a husband over the Israel. But when, when Jesus Christ, God incarnate, come to this earth, he presents to us this new uh, aspect of himself, this new aspect of God, that there was a father and a son. Amen. And we see, you know, as, as the children of Israel, as the Jewish nation dealt with the son, there was the parable how that they rejected the son. They, the, the father sent out the servant, the father sent out the servant. Each time they sent the servant, which is referring to the prophets, Israel would kill the servant. And then finally, the father said, I'll just send my son. Surely they'll accept him, but they wound up killing him too. And so as he was, and as he was down, and then we see the, also the, the wedding. The father says, we're going to have a wedding for the son, the son, the groom. Go out and compel people into the wedding. I'm paraphrasing all that. But we see that, that relationship demonstrated in the New Testament scriptures. And it gives us another aspect of how we, how that God interacts with his people. Matthew chapter 6. He, ta- he clothes the lilies of the field, the flowers of the field. He, 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 he feeds the fowl of the air. How much more is he going to take care of his children? So we see that relationship here that's set forth in the, in the Word of God. But God, verse number 1, the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. He's always been. He was God. But, but in eternity past, he said, we're going to make somewhere along the way, we're going we're to create time. I'm going to create a... I'm going to create some things and we're going to put... Uh, make heaven and the earth. We're going to put a sun and we're going to put a moon. 
And then we're going to start the clock and create time. And then for this period of time, there will be time. And then after this period of time, there's not going to be any time anymore. <laughs> and we as creatures of time, it's hard to understand, but one of these days it will be declared time is no more. And then you as a child of God are going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's already established. When you become a child of God, you have obtained everlasting life. And when we die in this flesh, our spirit, our soul lives. And one of these days we will begin getting a new body. All this is in the scriptures here. But the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 6. Let's just go through some things. Uh, The emphasis, we know that prophetically he was going to be made flesh. We're going to get to there. But the emphasis is not on the birth of Christ. Again, my mind this morning has been on the season and what the season is and where Christmas, Christ's mass come from and all that's incorporated in that. There's some interesting stuff out there. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to bring in all that, but lots of times during this time of the season, the world at least gets a little bit of the message of the incarnation of Christ. Even if it's from the 1965, I've just seen this the other day, 1965 Peanuts cartoon when Linus stands up on the stage for their little Christmas play and answers the question to Charlie Brown in that, what is Christmas all about? So Linus gets up and reads the Bible, or quotes the Bible. And, and they, from what I re- seen the other day, they were originally going to pull that out of the cartoon. But they decided to leave it in. And since they've left it in, since 1965, so the last 57 years, this year, anybody seasonally that watches Peanuts Christmas at least gets a little dose of the King James Bible <laughs> and the story of Christ, God himself, coming and being born of a virgin to this earth. But what the emphasis is, is why he come. Should be, it's not in the cartoon, but we get people will get that much. They'll go to the nativity scenes, the drive-through Christmases, the Christmas plays, whatever that's going on during this time of year, and some people that are unchurched will get at least the birth of Christ. God with us. We're going to read that scripture in a minute. But the emphasis, according to the scriptures, and what he wants the church to focus on is his death. Because as a church, this do in remembrance of me, what are we supposed to be remembering? We don't remember his death, I mean his birth necessarily as a church. Because the two ordinances of the church are the Lord's table, which we remember his death, the body that he was broken for us and the blood that he shed for us. And then in his resurrection, the second ordinance of the church is demonstrated in the baptistry and the baptism. Those are the two things that he wants us as a church to focus on. So again, in this holiday season, based on what was said in the Sunday school hour, Romans chapter 14, 
there may be some folks that brings out the birth of Jesus Christ and focuses it on that in the month of December. But as a church, looking into the scriptures, the emphasis should be placed on his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and him getting up out of the grave. Amen. And that's, that's provable by the scriptures. John chapter 6, verses uh, verse 51 through 58. And again, we was in this just the other day. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. So he was in heaven to come down from heaven. I, was, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Hallelujah. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Focus on the word flesh in all these scriptures. The word, I'm sorry, the bread that I, back up here, there we go. Um, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, which he shall live, uh, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. There's that eternal life that he gave his flesh for. He came to give us life. His death gives us life. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye shall have no life in you. Whosoever, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, there's the death, his blood, his, his body, his blood... And the resurrection, all portrayed right there. Uh, let's see. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the Father hath sent me, and I live, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. For he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And we know, and we pointed out several weeks ago when we was in this scripture, that we eat, quote unquote, of him, his flesh, and we drink his blood by putting our faith in his sacrifice. Amen. And that's what, it was a hard saying. Verse number 60 it says that many therefore have his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? It is a hard saying. Because it is so foreign in our flesh and our understanding to eat another person. Physically. That would just be wrong. And so, as he's presenting it this way, they understood manna coming down and the children of Israel being fed in the wilderness for 40 years and God's provision in the manna. And as he was making this spiritual application that his body was going to be, from, uh, was going to be eaten, his body would be given eternal life. And the fact that he did come down from heaven in his, and then took upon himself his, this body, this flesh, we partake of him by faith. 
there is the difference. Acts chapter 2. Just run a few more and then we'll wrap it all up here, but run a few more again on the um, this about God incarnate, which is a cardinal doctrine of, of the Scripture. It's a cardinal doctrine you know, of the church. We have to have him can't come, otherwise he would not have died. You know, he, he came to be a sacrifice. I mean, early in the book of John, John, behold, the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the world. This was early in, the, in, in the Christ's ministry. Once he was exposed, once he stepped out and, and his, his ministry had begun, you know, John the Baptist pointing to Jesus Christ and who he was. I am not the Christ, he said. I'm the forerunner of him. I'm the one to come, the voice crying in the wilderness. I'm pointing you to him. And that's why there's there's disputations with myself and other preachers that see it a different way. We have talked about it. And another, he's not a preacher, but he's a, a Sunday school teacher in my former church in the fact that when John, his disciples, he, John the Baptist is in prison, and he looks at his disciples. John still had disciples following him. And John said, go and ask him these questions, speaking of Christ. And, and of course, the other brother believes it other ways, and I'm saying, look, John's in prison. He knows he's getting ready to die. He's, he's coming... He says, John chapter 3, that he must increase and I must decrease. And I hold to the belief that John, still having some people following him around, that was going to be totally lost when John's head was cut off, John, even to the end, was pointing his disciples to Christ. Say, look, I'm getting ready to, you know, to die I'm not the one that you're supposed to be following. He still had disciples. You need to be following him and to get them to understand who Jesus Christ was, say, go and ask him some questions. Go seek him out. He's the one you need to be following. And points points to him. But again, he had to come and he had to be born of a virgin. And, And there's been evangelists of renown in our nation that said, yes, I believe in the virgin birth of Christ, but it is not, um, how did he put it? It is not, um, uh, hurt. I mean, it's not important to the Christian belief. He didn't put it that, exactly that way, but he said, and he also denied the literal flames of hell in the same Time Magazine article. Yeah. It is important that he came born of a virgin because if he had been born uh, not of a virgin, then he would have been born in sin. He had to be sinless. So, he, so the incarnation of Christ is important, but the emphasis of Christ is his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that's what we as a church ought to focus on regardless of the time of the year. And that's why when we have the Lord's table, which for sake of our visitors, we as a church 
practice a closed communion, which when we take the Lord's table in remembrance of Him, it's for the church membership only of Sooner Rose Baptist Church. And that's another lesson and another whatever, preaching for another time. But when we do, we do it in remembrance of Him. We're not like some that do it every Sunday. Then it gets monotonous and people start forgetting what it's all about. And, and, and then it's not, we don't necessarily do it quarterly or whatever, but it says, as oft as ye do it, do it in remembrance of me. So when we feel God, in fact, we've got one I've mentioned to the church. I'd like to set a time here soon for the church to, to, to set the Lord's table again and take a time of examination like we're, uh, what we're instructed to in the Scriptures and to, to take a time to remember His body that was broken and His blood that was shed for us. And that and baptism is the emphasis and the doctrine of the uh, ordinances of the church. But, the, but he, had to, he had to come. We see that he came, but his, he came on a mission, and the mission was to die that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. We could go there in John chapter 10. But Acts chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, <clears throat> of course, <clears throat> Paul speaking, going through this discourse here. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, talking about David, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before, he seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So it was prophesied even to David. Called David a prophet. That David, that the Christ, the Messiah, would come through David's lineage. And we read that in Matthew, and we read that in Luke. That he did, in fact, come through David's lineage. And we read also in that prophet that his, his body would not see corruption. And so in that same prophecy, not only that he would come, the Christ would come, but the Christ would resurrect after and not see corruption after his death. Romans chapter 1. And just the introduction to Romans, Paul writing, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus. Whose son? God's son. We see that in verse number 1. God concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. There's that prophecy again we just read about in Acts. Made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. There it is. And there's the, even, he came to die and to get up again. He came to die and to conquer death. He came to die and give us, through belief in Him and faith in Him, everlasting life. But He had to come. And that there is an emphasis, there is an importance, in, the, in um, 
uh, the incarnation of Christ, but the emphasis on the church and our worship and our church and our, uh, I, I guess worship is a good word, church and our worship is his death, burial, and resurrection. But we see that he's coming in the flesh in all these scriptures. Colossians chapter 1. Probably not going to get all these. Maybe some of them. Let's see here. My Bible will turn right. Colossians 1, <laughs> verses 21 through 23. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he now yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. He talks about his rejoicings for the gospel's sake. But the fact of in the body of his flesh through death is where we have, have reconciliation and eternal life. And believing that, the gospel, and again, the gospel, we keep referring to this, but the gospel is there, how that he died for our sins according to the scripture, how he was buried and raised again the third day according to the scripture. There's the gospel. And, there, and faith in that gospel, again, you know, it's just... Leading people, pointed out, keep planting the seed, keep watering the seed, and and trusting God would give the increase. And let's see, First Timothy three, right there. First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. Another three sixteen in the Bible. Some good three sixteens in the Bible. And and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world. Received up into glory. Hebrews 2. There's three, three passages Hebrews we'll look at. And then I'll probably skip on down and finish this thing up. Hebrews chapter 2. Again, this is just different this morning. I kept saying, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Hebrews chapter 2. My Bible to turn right. All right, there we go. Hebrews 2, verses 9 through 18. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death he was made for. There's the emphasis. He was made for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Thank the Lord. (laughs) That's... I mean, that's enough shout about just thinking that God the Son calls you brother or sister or amen. Woo! All right. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. 
in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also giveth, I'm sorry, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Who was that? That is the devil. And deliver them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Here's why. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in in things pertaining to God... Who make to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. This is the emphasis of the incarnation. Why did he have to be flesh? Why couldn't he just save us as a spirit? By taking on flesh, it says right here, then he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. By taking on flesh, we, he understood hunger. By taking on flesh, I, I often refer to this, he understood paying your taxes. Peter says, we got to pay some taxes, Lord. Peter said, go fi-, he said, go fishing. <laughs> what? He goes, go fishing, and the first fish you catch, look in his mouth. And there'll be enough money in there for your taxes and mine. So he understands taxes. He understands thirst. He understands being tired. He slept. He understands pain. He understands suffering. And in understanding those things because he took upon himself flesh, then we, he's able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He, he, uh, he, um, associated himself with us in because of the flesh and that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest pertaining to God to the reconciliation for sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Again, he's an all-knowing God, but for the sake of our understanding... And we, we, we use the words in our language as empathy and sympathy. Sympathy as I'm concerned and sorry for you, but I don't understand what you're going through. Empathy is I am sorrowful and, 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 and understand what you're going through. I can, I can relate in empathy. Miss Ruetta. Buried a husband. Darlene buried a husband. Some of you have buried spouses. I cannot empathize. I do not understand that. I can come and I can, as your pastor, I can preach and I can be there and I can lend an ear and a shoulder. But I do that without, or I do that uh, with some, I would say reservation, I do that with lack of knowledge to what exactly you're going through. Now, if your mother passed away, 
I can empathize with that. I understand what it means to lose a parent, but to lose a child or to lose a spouse, I can't empathize. So in that understanding, when Christ took upon himself flesh, he's able to succor, he's able to pull us in, and we can lay on his bosom. We can go to him with our cares because he cares for us. He understands us. Because he's been us. It's, it's hard and mind-blowing to understand it all that the God of this universe, the creator of all things, took upon himself flesh. But he did. And he walked among us. And he suffered the sufferings that we suffer. But then that, that should help us strengthen us when we are going through the temptations like he uses the word temptation there tempted when we're going through he was tempted in all points what like as we are yet without sin he didn't succumb to the temptations but when we're tempted we can go to him saying lord i'm being tempted here give me strength help me out Provide for me. Help me to see that way of escape that you said that you will provide when the temptations come. And that should... Why are we so reluctant? This is one of those frustration parts. And, it, and I have to turn the mirror back to me. Douglas, why are you so reluctant sometimes? When you face something, not to go directly to him... You try to, and I've been, I just testified last week, this past week, that I've been guilty of that in recent weeks. Having a need and saying, what can I do in my own strength to provide that need? Instead of running to the prayer closet. I've been guilty recently on that very point. Help us. Because he's able to succor them. He understands. Why does he understand? Because he took upon him flesh. We can go to him and with knowing that he understands. But we, don't, we just don't see that for some reason. Tried to buy a car. Oh, and what a car it was. Back when I was a one-striper, I was helping a fellow move and I kept passing this 1966 GTO convertible. 400 small block. It was sweet. It was nice. $3,000 is all they wanted for it. But $3,000 was a big amount for a two-striper in 1986. <laughs> and again, tried every way in my own strength. Obviously, I don't have that GTO convertible. But there was a fellow that said he would loan it. And I tried all these other avenues. And then by the time I got back around, he done moved that money to an investment of his own. But that, I just said all that, say this, that's how we operate with Christ. There's a, there's a need, a want, a desire, a temptation. There's a relationship that we have. I, and I had a son just in recent, like two, uh, I'm trying to think, a year or so ago. He had a financial aid. It was one of those deals that come up quick. He had the means to pay me back, and he did. But it was everything that he could to bring himself to ask me for that money. 
that he needed on the spur of a moment. And uh, actually, it wound up being myself and Jesse that covered him. But it was just the pride or whatever kept him from coming to me like sooner. Because if he'd come to me sooner, I could have provided all of it. But that's, that's the way it is with us. He took upon himself, he has suffered, he's been tempted, he understands us in whatever needs and trials and things that we have, but we, are, we just don't go to him fast enough. We want to handle it ourselves. Help us. All right, Hebrews uh, chapter 5, real fast. <laughs> I got kind of sidetracked there. Hebrews 5, 5 through 10. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he, he that saith unto him, said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But it became flesh. And he became flesh to suffer. And he became flesh to suffer and to die so that he could be our high priest. Amen. Not after the Arianic priesthood, but after the, or, uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, which is a whole other study. <laughs> We're not going to get there this morning. Hebrews 9. Verse 11 through 15. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Praise God. That's a per- my parentheses. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, why did he become flesh? And for this cause... He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transmissions that, I'm sorry, transgressions, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And I'll put off these others. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read this. I've already, I've already give you the punchline if you want to put it that way. But here's the scriptures behind it. 
Oh, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So Paul writing to the Galatians, and there are in Galatians, and I've looked at Galatians and thinking about going there sometime, but God keeps saying not yet. <laughs> but there's some rebuke in Galatians to the, Gal- the church at Galatia, lots of rebuke, what I've read and seen. But he is saying here in verse, but God forbid that I should save, or should glory save in the cross. And again, I've already given you the message in the sense, Paul writing is not in the birth of Christ. It's the cross of Christ Amen. that we should glory in. Amen. The birth is important. We've pointed that out. The reason behind the birth is so that he could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The reason behind the birth is in flesh that God himself came down. Emmanuel, God with us. We're not going to go to that scripture. You'll have to find it on your own. Isaiah 7 and 8 in Matthew chapter uh, 1, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 1, yeah. The word Emmanuel, spelt with an I in the Old Testament, spelt with an E in the New Testament. But he came, he had to come in flesh for all those reasons. But the emphasis, the glory, should not be in the birth. The glory should be in the death. Save, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. For I received, for I have received of the Lord that which also, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night which, in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also took, uh, he took the cup which he wit. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this, is, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat of this bread and drink of this cup, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Again, an ordinance of the church. As oft, not every Sunday, not quarterly, not whatever. And it could be every Sunday, or it could be quarterly. But as oft as ye do it. Church. Do it in remembrance of me. A glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Peter 3, and then we're finishing with this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Talking about that baptism. And there's a whole lot of, we're not going to go into, but the, the like figure. All right? The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven 
and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So baptism is a picture of his resurrection. It doesn't wash anything away, except if, you know, some dust or whatever might be on you. But no sins. It doesn't purify you of your sins. But it speaks of his resurrection. And again, the two ordinances of the church, the church's emphasis should be on the death and the resurrection of Christ as seen in our ordinances, the Lord's table, and in believer's baptism. And though you might be around family, though you might have a background, and though I might, on a video call, like I've done the last two, three years, with all my seven kids and however many grandkids that might be there present, Papaw reading Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2. Just tradition, memories, what we do as a family and have done as a family. I'm, I'm going to look at it now with a new emphasis and somewhere throw that in too because I've got lost children and I've got lost grandchildren and within my reading and within my time with my children, I'm going to say, look, it was important that he came in flesh. But the emphasis is his death and burial and his resurrection because that's the gospel message. And belief in the gospel message is what will help you obtain eternal life. It's found only in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I pray and ask that you'll help us to learn that and know that your, your incarnation was important for the many reasons that we've seen in the scripture, especially there as a high priest and, and to, help us, uh, to, to help us know that you understand our feeling of our infirmities and, Lord, that, that, you, uh, that you understand sufferings and that you can succor us in our sufferings and our temptations. But, Lord, help us, dear God, like Paul, to glory in the cross and, Lord, to keep the cross before us and the gospel message before men that they, too, can obtain eternal life found only and through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray your blessing the invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We'll have a song of invitation. The Lord spoken to you in any way. The altars are open. Come and pray. Maybe, maybe, have nothing to do necessarily with the message or salvation, but maybe like me in recent weeks, you're faced with something, a temptation, a trouble, trial, a care, and you are trying to handle it your own self, today would be a good day to put it upon his shoulders, you know, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you while we sing this song.